Welcome to The Backbone, but first, a word from our sponsor, Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors too, so you can get paid for your podcast. Anchor is what I use to bring you The Backbone, a journey inside finance at a startup. It connects your podcast seamlessly to iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more, making your podcast available wherever your audience chooses to listen. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Welcome to The Backbone, a journey inside finance at a startup. I'm your host, Shabam Data at Shabam on Twitter. On The Backbone, we're obsessed with finance and operations at startups. We take a close look at finance functions within various startup companies by talking to finance leaders that are in there day in and day out. We chat startup finance, metrics, operations, and everything in between. On this episode of The Backbone, I chat with Gertie Dervishi, VP Finance at Flybits, a company that enables the creation of highly personalized mobile experiences that go beyond what is practical with traditional app dev platforms. Since joining the team in 2012, he has served in a number of roles, including project and product management, customer success, strategy, and implementation. Working closely with the founder and CEO, he has helped raise over $15 million in funding for Flybits and has acquired a number of Fortune 500 customers globally. Gertie is a management professional with over 10 years of experience in sales, finance, technical project management, and strategy. He holds a Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering from the University of Ottawa, an MBA from Ryerson University, and a Master's in Management Finance from Harvard University. So without further ado, here's Gertie Dervishi, VP Finance and Operations at Flybits. Good morning, Gertie. Thanks uh, again for joining me on The Backbone this morning. And uh, so, you know, I just want to get started right away. You're an engineer by training, and prior to Flybits, uh, you held many roles with CIBC, IBM, and even the government. So talk to me about how you got your start into tech and your path to Flybits. Yeah, uh, good morning, uh, Shubham. Thank you for having me on this um, show. Interesting that some years ago, working for startups was not considered a, an achievement here in Canada. So, um, <laughs> I mean, with family and significant others, almost would help would tell you, you know, what you're doing with your life, like working for startups, etc. And I think that was probably one of the the reasons why I kept going to the corporate world, right? And mm-hmm. um, so, but early on, I remember, like in university, when I was at the University of Ottawa, I was involved with a couple of startups. First, we uh, we started with a with a classmate of mine who was a civil engineering student. We started a construction company out of all. Uh, it was called a FixMyHouse.ca. Is uh, was okay. was based in the Ottawa area. Of course, you can tell by the name. It was a yeah. <laughs> about fixing houses, right? Residential. Um, after that, I was involved with um, with a professor of mine and uh, some classmates as well in a tech startup. This time it was called One Over Seven um, out of Ottawa as well. Basically, dealt with um, dealing with some issues that uh, we have in telecommunication when it comes to forward error correcting techniques. 
that didn't go very well. Um, I mean, it failed about a couple of years after we started it. Um, it coincided with two main events. One was the external event, like the financial crisis. We couldn't get mm-hmm. more funding. And the other one was more my not being able to provide its full commitment as I was moving back to the Toronto area. Mm-hmm. And I think that in the early days, being co-located is a very important thing when it comes to um, having a success- successful venture. But anyway, yeah, sure. about five years ago... Um, which is recently, um, I was involved with um, what the company that I work with right now uh, called Flybits. The founder is uh, Dr. Hussein Ranama, who's uh, a brilliant mind out of Ryerson University. Also happens to be a, a visiting professor at MIT. Very exciting technology, very exciting company, and great team to work with. Um, but I think you know, ultimately, you know, even though. I was not sort of meant to be just a startup type of person in the sense that I did work for a few uh, corporate companies. Um, mm-hmm. That served me well because, as as you will talk about later, um, Flybit is a B two B business, um, and so having that experience in terms of knowing a bit more about what happens in the enterprise world, how do they, what do they, how do they perceive value, how do they consume right. products, that really you know is really helping me even now as I work with Flybits. I've never been involved in a B two C type of tech startups. Mm-hmm. I I mean I never I think it would be interesting to be involved and maybe I'll try it sometime but I also found out that due to the mixed experience between corporate and startups now I think B2B is my, my sweet spot <laughs> that's that's good to hear yeah you, you mentioned Flybits um, maybe we can hop into that what is Flybits and, and talk to me about what you guys uh, do yeah, um, Flybit is, um, as I mentioned before, came out of Ryerson University, out of the research that was happening there under the guidance and leadership of Dr. Hussein Ranama. It's, all, it's got some very rich IP behind it, uh, multiple patents, uh, but essentially it's a cloud-based um, experience management software product. So it's used by mobile marketers, uh, app developers, with the intent of providing what we call um, contextual experiences. So what I mean by that, if you think about the way that we consume information today, pretty much it hasn't changed much for the past uh, couple of decades. So Mm -hmm. we still uh, install these monolithic type applications, whether they're mobile or desktop, and then we search for this information through different sort of drop-down menus. But if you think about the paradigm of consumption of information, is that information is growing dramatically, but our screens are getting smaller uh, because now we're consuming them through mobile phones. And so there is a need now for a way, almost like information finding you as opposed to you looking for, for, for information. Think about, Interesting. maybe we could call this a reverse search. Um, but mm-hmm. essentially, uh, use the different sort of contextual parameters or the ambient intelligence of the user mm-hmm. in order to provide them the best, most relevant inf- information or service that they may need. So I'll give you an example to make it a bit more tangible. Um, sure. So banks, for example, are customers of ours. So if a bank wanted to have sort of a mortgage renewal um, experience for a customer. So instead of just sending an email or sending information to everyone, they could make this a bit more 
contextual. Uh, so they could say, I want any customer whose mortgage is coming up for renewal in less than three months, who happened to be walking, not driving, who huh. happened to be next to a branch of mine, I want to let them know. And if I happen to have a customer service rep free at that time, I want to let them know once you come in, there's somebody waiting, and in five minutes you can get uh, can get it over with your renewal. And on the way out, if it happened to be a rainy day, maybe I could call an Uber and say, thank you for your business. So, oh, wow. You know, so in order to create this experience, uh, you have two ways to do it. One, if you write all these requirements and you give it to an app developer and you have this monolithic experience as we talked about before. Mm-hmm. Or you could use the Flybit SaaS where you could simply drag and drop all these different data streams or different data inputs and, and bind them or tie them to an experience and deliver that in real time. That is what Flybit does and we provide that as a SaaS. That's really, really cool. The, the example you gave uh, really helps uh, uh, me imagine a world where, where that's... I know my bank doesn't do that today, so uh, <laughs> you, you guys need to sign them up. Yes. Uh, <laughs> um, that's awesome. So now moving on to, back to you. Uh, as a finance leader, you know, one of your key responsibilities is to manage cash and keep an, uh, you know close eye on wh- where it is and where it's at. And as we've heard many times on this show, uh, cash is king. And so you're responsible for selecting vendors and determining which vendors provide the best bang for your buck uh, so you can maximize your cash. And in SaaS, we always refer to the stickiness factor or the lock-in. So essentially, what features does your SaaS product have that will keep your customers uh, from from churning? And so you raised a very interesting point when we first connected, and, and you said that you look for ways to stay flexible and not too reliant on any one particular platform when working with your vendors. So talk to me a little bit more about that. How do you accomplish this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when it comes to cash, of course, cash is king, and uh, we all agree with that. So what keeps me up at night truly is just making sure that the company has enough capital to achieve its pur- purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, whether that is giving enough time to salespeople to, or sales teams to close those accounts or give enough time to technical teams to deliver the p- best product they can and continuously finding ways to accelerate these cycles, uh, whether it's reducing sales frictions or reducing technical delivery frictions. But um, specific when you said when it comes to vendor selection, um, one important thing for us is to try and avoid being um, locked in uh, such way that it's very difficult for you to get out in case you need to or want to um, Mm -hmm. out of a specific service. So let me give you um, maybe an example or make it more interesting. Um, Sure. When it comes to a cloud provider, right? Everyone now Mm -hmm. is cloud-based, especially when it comes to SaaS offerings. So we use one of the most famous out there which is Amazon Web Services and Mm -hmm. also now we are using uh, some of the Google services when it comes to cloud but when it comes to Amazon so we avoid using um, proprietary services like uh, Amazon Lambda or um, Hmm. uh, proprietary databases like um, uh, DynamoDB or things like um, API gateways, uh, messaging services. Uh, mm-hmm. All of these services make it very easy for you to implement first out the gate. Right. But of course, then they make it very difficult for you to switch the provider in case you 
want to or need to. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it comes to the cloud, we essentially use the cloud provider, in this case, Amazon, as a, a simple sort of infrastructure. And um, when it comes to the orchestration, we use more flexible flexible scripts, things like Terraform. Um, what that allows you to do is uh, it gives you the capability to uh, deliver in any cloud or, mm-hmm. quite frankly, even on-prem if you ever needed to, um, hmm. depending some of the customers or maybe even governments at right. some point in time. If it's worth it, let's say we close a deal with you know, the Canadian government or U.S. government, uh, we may entertain the possibility of uh, having an on-prem uh, deployment that is a mm-hmm. no-no in the world of SaaS, as we've heard. <laughs> uh, but but if you if you have flexibility enough, and if it makes business sense, um, that's something that we could consider. But that's only v- uh, possible by not uh, using such proprietary services, as I mentioned to you before. And the same right. thing holds true for different services. It doesn't have to be just your cloud provider. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I want to dig into this part a little bit more, and especially given given your background. Uh, you know, you're an engineer by training, as, as we discussed. And so how, how do you think that has kind of translated to how you think about your role uh, within finance? And as we know, uh, you know, and we'll get into this a bit more uh, a little later. Um, finance is a lot more than just finance. So how do you, how do you like this vendor selection and a lot of this this piece, which is more the operational side? Yeah. Uh, how how would you say your kind of training as an engineer has uh, has shaped your thinking when it comes to this stuff? Yeah, I mean it's been a it's been a great help uh, in terms of uh, hmm. uh, knowing a bit more as to. What is the, a better decision to make? Um, so when it comes to finance, um, especially in the startup world, uh, yes, you have your normal sort of accounting, uh, compliance, especially if you start to expand um, overseas or in the U.S., mm-hmm. you have to deal with different sort of tax implications. But quite frankly, that is almost uh, table stakes, right? It's a given. Um, mm-hmm. That is what accounting does. And of course, uh, because it's so rigid in what you can do, uh, it tends to be more of a boring uh, type of an activity. Um, think about it, right? When you do a, an audit, uh, for example, your auditor says, oh, this was good. It was uneventful. <laughs> uh, so, so how could that, you know, it's not very interesting or stimulating for that matter. But what you want to do, I mean, what I would like to do um, is really uh, tight, sort of uh, very tightly coupled between operations and finance. Um, and in order to do that, it's not only important to, oper- to understand the operations of the company, but also understand your product very well. Um, and that is particularly useful um, to understand and also how your customers are consuming your product. Mm-hmm. What is the journey that your customers go through in order to, you know, to become successful using your product? Um, 
I, I've been fortunate, as you mentioned before, to join finance after a technical sort of training and a career in project management, which gives me the opportunity to understand delivery in enterprise software so that we can also come up with different business models and pricing strategies. Think about when you're looking at SaaS, some of the most mm -hmm. famous pricing strategies are, you know, you may charge a number of active users. Sure. If you're a B2B2C, you may charge based on a uh, number of API calls, number of services provided, maybe all of those together, but of course you add to the complexity. So all of these uh, will come together, whether it's your understanding of the product, your understanding of the operations, your understanding of the financing, you know, and sort of how long do you need or how much money you're going to need to get to where you need to be so should I charge annually or should I charge monthly what does that do to my churn what does that do to my cash flow mm -hmm. um, all while understanding what is the least sort of the path of least resistance for this consumer for this customer to buy and then be successful with my product so you put this all together i think that having a, a well-rounded sort of knowledge and experience will go a long way in, in in being a better finance leader as you mentioned in the beginning got it got it uh, and that's that's really insightful so w one thing I, I didn't get the chance to ask you before but uh, how did you make that transition from you know being in that product management uh, roles before and then uh, now into into finance and ops obviously that that product management side has really helped you in this role but how did you make that transition um, yeah. to, to to the finance side and like for instance just as simple as like picking up debits and credits I mean it's not rocket science but like <laughs> Uh, yeah. yeah. How, 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 did, how did that happen? I think a, a very important thing is having a, an engineering background. I mean, having an engineering background, it, um, it demystifies a lot of things, especially when you're dealing with sort of math and, and things like that. Mm -hmm. You tend to have that comfort uh, level of dealing with such things. Um, so it's pretty easy for an engineer, in my opinion, to become a manager or even a, a finance uh, mm -hmm. person, but it would be very difficult the other way around. Right. Um, so for me, it was a natural progression. Actually, it started when I was working at Flybits uh, in the product delivery, and then we made the decision that we're going to need external financing. So mm. well, we made a decision that we're going to need external financing, um, I already had an MBA at that time, but it was not sort of finance focus. It was more like an international business type MBA. So I had a, a bit of knowledge and a bit of comfort with mm -hmm. uh, the initiative. But then um, I started to train and sort of, you know, get a bit more uh, into finance and... Um, I remember the first term sheet that we got. Um, I brought it to my um, to my finance prof, um, so who was teaching valuations at that time. And of course, I took out the name of the company, the name of the investors. Yeah. Uh, but I needed help because I, I, I was some terms in there that I just didn't right. understand. And so I remember the prof took that up in the class and said, "Well, let's dissect this term sheet." And then you know, I took all that information and I went back <laughs> to the investors with full confidence, like, "Here's where we stand." <laughs> so, so it was a little bit of uh, you know we needed that uh, knowledge or that skill set, right? And uh, so I just went and acquired it. So what I did then, uh, I went to Harvard University and did a, a master's in finance, just to add to my sort of the to the MBA that I already had in place. 
Got it. So you're really being able to to round that uh, out with the product management and the the finance side. And so now, um, want to ask you what why why you think or what is the importance of of the finance function at a early stage or growth stage technology company in your opinion? From my experience, I think it's important to be to be involved early. Um, most people. Who might may think that, well, you know, I don't need a finance person right now. I'm still very mm-hmm. early, but don't think of finance as that traditional sort of finance person, right? Um, I think it's important for them to be involved early, to so they can live and breathe the product, so they can contribute to its evolution, so mm-hmm. that they can develop the instincts then to make better decisions when it comes to financial planning, uh, sort of pricing models, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you can do that so much better if, you, if you've if you lived the product and sort of grew up with it because right. it becomes all, almost an instinct as opposed to having to learn and looking at things more uh, from the outside in. So that's why I believe that an early involvement will go a long way. And, you know, you need to make decisions like I mentioned before, like uh, are we going to get external financing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we are, who is our best investor? Who do we want? And how do we get them? Can we get them now? Can we get them later? Um, mm-hmm. How do we become attractive, whether it's to customers, employees, uh, capital, or, you know, if you want to sell the company, what are our buyers looking for? Um, right. So the different sort of stakeholders um, will come into play very early on, you know, as you start to plan your business. Right. So there it is. The the words of wisdom is to hire into finance early and no bias there. Um, so uh, what I'd like to do now is, is hop into a quick fire round. And the way this works is I'll ask you a question and you'll have 10 to 15 seconds to respond to each. How does that sound? Yeah, sounds good. All right. So number one, your go-to online resource for all things startup finance related. So... I go to many uh, type resources. I don't have one specific one that I go to. My experience is that there is a lot out there, but very little practical, useful things which are out of the box to your situation. Mm-hmm. So of course, then you have to read everything. And because every business is unique, you have to apply that uniqueness to the frameworks that are available to you. Right, right. So a little bit of everything. So I guess you'll start at Google and then you'll... That's right. I mean, there are some, some, yeah, there are some outlets that, you know, you tend to find more often than not, but mm-hmm. um, like startup CFOs and, and things like that. But um, yeah, you, you need to, to really apply that uniqueness to, to the things that are out there. Got it. And what's your favorite productivity hack? So <clears throat> I, I like the checklist. Um, okay. Like just you know, write things in, in down. I, I actually yeah. like a pen and paper type checklist. Yeah. Okay. Online checklist, and I just like to cross them over. It provides both <laughs> uh, a bit of guidance in a world where you get distracted uh, quite yeah. often, and um, it provides some satisfaction when you look back at it and you get all these things checked out. Nice. Yeah. Uh, and then one last question. So one one thing you don't leave the office before finishing. What is that one thing? Um, the one thing I don't leave the office before finishing is I make sure that I talk to the customer success team. Hmm. Interesting. That's, that's Why is that? important thing. Um, I just... So right now, I, I lead the customer success team at Flybit. Okay. Um, but it's also very important to find out 
how are things going right uh, how do we make our customers uh, successful we are you'd be surprised like more often than not we find ourselves being way more vested in their success than they, they could be <laughs> their own success because sure. if they're successful you're successful that's it right so yeah. and if you understand like we deal with large organizations I mean mm-hmm. quite frankly those organizations will continue to be whether they're you know they're whether we are there or not so mm-hmm. we are more interested to make them successful to make <laughs> sure that we can have that journey together as opposed to them you know having with someone else and going it alone Right, right. Well, thank you so much, uh, Gerti. Really appreciate your time today. Uh, it was a pleasure chatting with you about you know your, your transition from uh, an engineering background to your roles within corporate and now in startups. Learning a bit more about what Flybits does. Really hope you guys are implementing that at uh, more and more banks because uh, that example was awesome. And uh, just your, your take on, on uh, startup finance and uh, what, what that's all about. So really appreciate your time. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.